It's July, which means it's college football preview season. Unfortunately, your favorite college football magazine is already out of date. To keep up with transfers, injuries, and position battles this summer, consider becoming a CFB Winning Edge Tier 2 Patreon supporter. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive access to our 2021 FBS team profiles, which includes over 10,000 individual player ratings, daily updated depth charts, the most in-depth returning production database on the market, projected point spreads for every game all season, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more and to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish TRI CHE on the Twitter machine. Today, we're going to continue our preview series and we're going to head to the independence. So we have set an over under for this show. I won't say it. But, uh, you know, we only have seven independent teams. So Xavier thinks that means Nick will speak longer on each team. I said, uh, I think that we're going to stick to our normal plan here. So we, we will see how it goes. But we're going to dive right in and start with Army. And just a 2020 recap for them. They posted an impressive 9-3 and record last year. They won the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. They hung close with Cincinnati. They lost only by three to West, uh, West Virginia in the Liberty Bowl. and. Uh, they had a pretty great season. We have them going seven and five, so a little worse off this year. Their w- DK win total is seven and a half, uh, only favored to win five, and town edges in three, but that is what we expect from Army. So, what do we think for uh, Army going into 2021, Nick? I think that Army, you know, always we compare them to the other service academies, the Air Force and, and Navy. Navy we spoke about recently is potentially being one of the lower rated teams in college football this year. We were really struggling to find wins on the schedule for Navy. Army, I think, is in a much better position starting out. They have some similar issues, of course, that, that Navy does of uh, basically rebuilding an offensive line. Um, but just about everywhere else, they are more experienced. They know a little bit more of, of what they're working with, and they're the defending Commander-in-Chief's trophy winners. So uh, starting from a good spot, they were very, very impressive last year. Or early in the year, I mean, they just looked downright dominant in those first two weeks. We didn't realize maybe quite at the time how bad ULM was. And then, you know, Middle Tennessee started out really, really slow. So maybe as we, you know, move throughout the, the course of the season, got the feeling that, okay, maybe they're, maybe they're not quite as dominant as they looked early on. They were, you know, they did play three FCS opponents, played a, a pretty weak schedule overall, but still, you know, nine wins look good at, at a lot of different uh, parts of the season. And, and, you know, I think part of that, uh, like, Navy, like Air Force, like like a lot of teams uh, who don't recruit, you know, a very very talented 
uh, or, or at least what we think of as being super talented, you know, stars and, and ratings from places like 247 Sports, uh, you know, they don't have great overall roster strength numbers. They rank 118th overall, uh, 121st on offense and 115th defensively. But I do know that they take recruiting very, very seriously. And it sounds like, you know, a lot of reporters who have uh, gone in and, and talked to uh, the uh, head coach there, Todd Monken, and and um, or Jeff Monken. I always I always mix <laughs> the two up, uh, but uh, you know they they've sort of gone in and and really uh, changed the game a little bit with the way that Army recruits, and they seem to have a, a little bit better uh, track record of of bringing in you know consistently solid players. I mean there were there were some physically gifted young guys last year. Jeff Monken. I had that right. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a true freshman, Tyrell Robinson kind of jumped out immediately running back, led the team in receiving yards, was a guy that that uh, returned kicks um, and got on the field immediately. You know, wasn't, wasn't a highly rated player, wasn't even really uh, a rated player, basically, but um, jumped in and, and had an impact, gained uh, I, I made a note here, um, 14 of his 60 rushing attempts gained 10 or more yards. And so when you get a player like that who can come in day one, you know, basically become a starter, become one of your most dynamic players, uh, that's, that's I think, the product of uh, really good recruiting and evaluation and, and things like that. And though he probably was, you know, the headliner, he wasn't the only first-year player to, to make an impact. But uh, really, the the only major questions I, I think that I have about Army at, at this point, and, and they will lose a lot of players compared to the national averages, but the in, you know, returning production, 89th overall, uh, the way we calculate it, 96th offensively and 65th defensively, that's actually a pretty experienced group coming back compared to, to what we normally see with Army. And, and so uh, there are fewer, I think, personnel questions uh, other than, you know, maybe the offensive line, got to break in four starters there. And then they have a basically an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback position. Uh, Christian Anderson has been a starter. Uh, Tyler, Tyler was a starter. Kate Ballard started two games last year. Uh, Jabari Laws didn't play last year, but was the projected starter coming into the season. And I've seen, I think, you know, I, I try to get bits and pieces out of different magazines and, and other previews and things like that. I think I've seen at least three projected quarterbacks. I've seen Anderson, Tyler, and Laws all projected as co- the, the starting quarterback in uh, different magazines. So, you know, in in some ways, that's a, a really good problem to have because you've got some talent players that you can lean on. A lot of guys have playing experience. They do, of course, in a trip option offense, get beat up a little bit more than uh, your traditional quarterback, taking a lot more hits because they're carrying the football, carrying a pretty pretty heavy load there. But you know, my main question is if if you've got three or four guys who are among your best eleven players, all kind of crowded in that one position. Is there a way to utilize those guys a little bit better? And, and Army is pretty deep at, at running back. Uh, fullback 
Jacoby Buchanan's back, Brandon Walters, uh, one of the, the outside backs, slot backs, uh, didn't get a ton of carries, but was somebody that, that you know, flashed at times as a receiver. Plus, they've got, you know, Cade Barnard, Anthony Atkins, A.J. Howard still there. Uh, I saw you know, Wilson Coteau converted from linebacker to fullback this spring in press. So, you know, they've they've got a lot of different options. And so I think it, it might just be a little bit tricky to uh, find the right mix of getting the best players on the field. And, um, you know, I think they'll probably do a fine job with that. They'll they'll figure it out. They are uh, successful enough and Munkin and, and that coaching staff has been good enough in years past to uh, win a lot of ball games. And, and I would expect this year is probably, you know, no different. Uh, defensively, they are, you know, just solid. Last year, they were uh, number 20 nationally in our defensive team performance ratings, 20th against the pass, 13th against the run. They bring back a, a really experienced unit compared to where they are most of the time. Four starters in the secondary, uh, you know, three starters up front, two, uh, as we have categorized it, at linebacker. That includes Malkeen Morrison, who had a hybrid linebacker, defensive back, but um, you know, they're, they're experienced and coming back from a team that was really, really successful last season, you have to think that statistically they've got a chance to be a top 20 defense again. So put that together against a, a schedule that ranks 110th nationally in our, uh, in our rankings, tougher than it was last year with, you know, opponents like Wisconsin, Lake Forest, they do play Ball State defending uh, MAC champs, Georgia State to open is going to be tough. Western Kentucky is a much different team than they were last year. They'll play them early. So, you know, Liberty at the, the end of the season, right before the, the Army-Navy game. And then, of course, Navy and Air Force always give their best effort. So it, it's going to be a tougher schedule. But I, I do think that this is a solid Army team and a team certainly capable of putting up eight or nine wins. Our projections, you know, don't necessarily – uh, see that win total. We think there are, you know, quite a few toss-up games, but the stats-only model loves them, favored in 10 of those games, uh, and it kind of balances out the, the talent edge. So though we, though we do project a, a final record of, of seven and five, eight wins, nine wins is certainly possible, uh, but I think with the, the tougher schedule, it might just be a little little too difficult to, to match nine wins like they had last year. Yeah. And Xavier looking at the schedule for army, you know, the seven and a half number kind of tough to bet because uh, when you look at it, it looks like they have wins against Western Kentucky, Yukon, and then uh, they play Bucknell late UMass late and Navy late, but that's five. And this number is seven and a half. So now they got to get three between, you know, with Georgia State, which they're not favored in, Miami uh, of Ohio, which they are favored in. Maybe Ball State is winnable. Maybe Wake Forest is winnable. Air Force is winnable. Um, and, and that's probably it. So you got to win three of those five. It's not out of the realm of possibility, like Nick right. said, but it's tough to bet that number. Oh, absolutely. It's it's too much 
to bet on. It's too many ifs. You know, I talked about it in the last podcast. I'm not a big if guy. And, and armies, and to get to that eight win margin that you would have to do over, too many ifs at play here. They would have to be Ball State on the road. We talked about Ball State um, in a previous episode. I don't think that's going to be a good game for them. We talked about a Miami, Ohio being improved. I, that's not going to be an easy game for them either. Uh, we, Georgia State, first game of the year, is going to be on the road as well, um, a place where they lost two years ago. Uh, you know, so they'll be looking for some revenge in that. Uh, but they'll definitely, you know, and uh, they'll definitely think that maybe last time it was raining. So maybe they think, you know, their 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 offensive style will help better in this case. But that's going to be a tough game. You know, first game, you know, first game of the year for Georgia State, also at home for them. Um, you know, that's going to be a really tough game, especially with with the way Georgia State runs their offense and and really. Um, it's they're going to try to turn that game into a shootout. And that's my biggest concern with Army is whether or not they can compete in, in both facets of the game in, in some of these more high-powered offenses that they'll be facing this year. You know, Army, when they did come to Georgia State two years ago, they like to slow the game down. You know, they, they, they do. They are very good with slowing the game down, making your possessions matter, maximizing their possessions, and limiting yours. And the biggest issue when you play teams that are – you know, you know, Nick talked about a weaker schedule. When you play teams that are in a weaker schedule, you know, you're able to do that to a higher effectiveness, you know, and more importantly, you're playing offenses that can't score that quickly or don't have the ability or the talent to do so. A lot of the teams on this schedule that you talked about have the ability to score quickly and have the talent to do so. And that really, you know, works against what Army wants to do uh, from a defensive perspective. They want to weigh you out. They want to make it a, a four-quarter ball game. And then, you know, just allow their legs and their, you know, and their physicality at the end of the day to take over. And I don't see that being a case in the Georgia State game, in a ball state, uh, with a Miami of Ohio, even, you know, when we talk about an Air Force. I don't see that being being a, a possibility with those offenses because all of those offenses I just named have the ability to be three play, you know, three to five play drives where they can both score quickly. And that's the complete opposite of what Army wants uh, from a defensive perspective. And so I think this is a, a team that can still make a bowl game. I think that six wins is, is more than possible with them. Uh, I, I don't see them going too far under, uh, you know, the prediction of seven and a half. But I, I just – it's too rich for my blood to think that they're going to have to essentially replicate what they did last season to cover uh, what's going on uh, or the number that's being given to them. And the schedule is just much more difficult uh, this year. I will say the one positive about their schedule that I really like is that they have two bye weeks. Uh, I think that that will help significantly in the fatigue factor. Something I think is going to be a conversation that we have all year is when you played, well, and, and not necessarily for them, but in college football, when you played a shortened season for a lot of these players, what's it going to be like for a lot, of, a lot of these guys coming back and playing a full 12 game season after a lot of people played four, some people played eight, some people played 10. Um, you know, it's going to be really, uh, it's something I'm going to be looking for, especially as we get into November uh, and December, whether or not these guys are going to have the legs to be able to continue to play at a high level when you weren't able to, when you didn't do it a year ago. And it's a little bit different between practicing that entire time versus having to play people week in and week out. So having those two bye weeks is a positive. Uh, but with all that being said, I, I still think this is a team I would go under four, uh, under that seven and a half. And, and Nick, to your credit, absolutely. Army is a team that recruits a bunch. Uh, I know I don't like to talk about service academies a lot because they are able to bring in 50 yeah, they brought in 50 kids this uh, in the recruiting cycle this year. Uh, finishing third in independent, which is nice. You know, they finished right behind Notre Dame and BYU. They finished ahead of Liberty. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's definitely pointing in the right direction. It's just always weird trying to, to break down the recruits when you've got 50 to go through. So uh, I'm going to leave Army for right now. 
Uh, that I mean, that's a smart idea. Let's go on over to BYU here. And uh, just looking at them last year was obviously a great year. They were dominant 11 and one. Their only loss was to a top 25 Coastal Carolina team, 22 to 17 on the road with just two days to prepare. But of course, Zach Wilson leaves. So there is uh, that's a big hole for them. And expectations are much lower, specifically from uh, DK. Seven is their win total. We have them in eight and four. Favorite twin in nine. Town edges in three, Nick. So what do we think of BYU for 2021? Yeah, I mean, coming off of the last year, uh, they were they were great. And, and what was it? They came up one yard short, right, against uh, yeah. against Coastal. So. Uh, really, really impressive all season, somewhat similar to what we were just talking about with army. The schedule was, you know, not, not super tough, uh, but they were absolutely, uh, dominant is the right word. I think, um, basically the only, the only team that, that other than the coastal Carolina game where the outcome was even in question, uh, was Houston. They just, you know, Houston gave them a good game early on, but they were able to end up beating that game, you know, winning that game by multiple scores. So uh, incredible year, 11 wins. Zach Wilson absolutely, uh, you know, he became, he became the number two overall pick. And and this time last year, I don't know if, if uh, they just got in my head with coach speak or whatever, but it seemed – like a legitimate question as to whether or not he was going to win that job. Uh, little did we know that, you know, he had been behind the scenes uh, transforming himself into one of the best quarterbacks in the country and, and just, you know, absolutely uh, was able to elevate BYU to another level and really, really special year and, and very impressive. He's of course going to be a, a important piece to replace. And it sounds like there are three guys in the mix to, uh, you know, take over for him. Again, I, I mentioned Army had three guys listed as projected quarterbacks in different magazines. BYU's in a little bit of a similar situation. Baylor Romney was the top backup last year. So, it's not, you know, maybe he would be the guy to step up and, and take over this season. Jaron Hall, who was injured last season, was uh, kind of the, the first guy uh, behind Wilson in 2019 and, and you know, has a skill set that excites a lot of people. So there's certainly reason to believe that he could win this job, but kind of a, a little bit of a latecomer. Uh, Jacob Conover is a redshirt freshman, scout team quarterback last year, uh, somebody that the coaches raved about the, the way he played on the scout team. And he's the highest rated as a recruit, uh, four-star guy coming out of high school in Arizona and, you know, was on a two-year mission and then last year spent the, the season as a scout team quarterback. So uh, there's there's a chance that, that he could win the job. And and I think that, of course, is sort of the, you know, how high can BYU go, how or, or you know, how much will they fall, I guess, is going to be determined by quarterback play, in my opinion. So, you know, will they be able to, to step up and, and – uh, continue to play at a really high level offensively. Not only are they losing Zach Wilson, they're losing their offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, who went to Baylor, uh, but promoted from, from within for that job. Should be a relatively smooth transition there. It's just kind of finding the right guy behind center. But uh, basically everywhere else on offense, they should be in pretty good shape. I, I really like Tyler Algier 
the running back, former walk-on linebacker, you know, played uh, 30-something snaps, I think, as a, uh, as a running back in 2019 or only had 30 carries or something like that. A really small workload as a running back in 2019 after coming over uh, playing linebacker when he, when he first got there. But he is a big back, 220-plus, runs hard, difficult to bring down. And then uh, Lapini Katoa is, is kind of, uh, I mean, similarly big, but brings a different skill set with uh, his ability to, to catch the ball out of the backfield. So uh, you would think that they will rely on those two guys relatively early as the quarterback situation works itself out. But they've returned, you know, some playmakers uh, at receiver as well. Gunnar Romney was really, really impressive to me the first, you know, two thirds of last season before he got banged up a bit. Uh, I thought he was, uh, you know, arguably better than Dax Milne, who ended up becoming uh, an NFL draft pick. Uh, he had the bigger, you know, second half of the season, but I thought Romney in the first half was excellent. Isaac Rex caught 12 touchdown passes as a tight end, wasn't even expected to be the starter until Matt Bushman suffered a, a season-ending injury right at the very beginning of, of uh, the season. So, you know, they, they've they got some talented guys coming back, and then they added talent into the mix with Puka Nakua and Samson Nakua transfers from Washington and Utah respectively. And, and uh, Puka Nakua is somebody who, you know, he's only played roughly 200 snaps over the first two years when he was at Washington, but he was uh, one of the higher rated recruits that, that they'd had in a while. Somebody they were really excited about when he arrived, just hasn't quite been able to, you know, put it all together consistently on the field, but has flashed and, and, has raw talent that I think he'll be able to come in and, you know, really slot in as a uh, starting receiver and, and help to, uh, you know, take over he and, and his brother for that lack of production or, or that, you know, production that's, that's moved on to the NFL. And offensive line was excellent last season. They ranked sixth in our O-line performance ratings. Uh, three starters are back, but, uh, they did lose multiple starters to the NFL. Brady Christensen, left tackle, was a third-round pick from the pa- uh, Carolina Panthers. And then Chandon Herring was an undrafted free agent who will be in camp this fall. Uh, so, you know, some some pieces to replace. But uh, they have an excellent guy to build around, James Impey, 100-rated player as a center, one of the highest-graded centers in college football by PFF for several years. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I think they're going to be fine offensively. They were the number one team in offensive team performance last season, number two passing, number six rushing uh, in our calculations. Probably not going to be able to maintain that level, especially playing seven power five uh, conference opponents after playing zero last season. So little, you know, we do uh, wait, do some uh, opponent adjustments and garbage time and things like that but still would, would expect them to uh, come back a little bit. But this, you know, still could be, especially if one of these guys takes over that quarterback uh, position, a top 30 type offense statistically. Defensively, they, you know, have, I think, more questions. They should be good at linebacker. That seems to be the strength of the team, at least, you know, the way we calculate it. Only 73rd in our linebacker uh, unit ratings, but Three starters return all with an 80 or more uh, individual player rating. 
the way we calculate it. It's just how are they going to do in the front three or front four and and back four or five. They they have more much more turnover there. But you know Tyler Batty is a, a name to know on the defensive line. He played fewer than 100 snaps last season, but had double-digit pressures and tied for the team lead in sacks. So you would expect that he's going to be uh, somebody they can really lean on for a pass rush, something that was missing when he was out of the lineup after the first few games last season. And then in the secondary, uh, you know, I, I'm real big into those anonymous coaching quotes and, and things like that. I, I, I know that they're not always perfect, but sometimes they can give you a little bit of a glimpse into the way opponents see things. And, and uh, one that, that came up in, in one of the magazines is that, you know, that's that secondary is where you can look to attack BYU. It's where they're a little more vulnerable, especially when they're not getting as much of a, of a pass rush. And last year they were, they were relatively conservative in, in the way they called defense. They didn't, blitz a whole lot. They dropped eight a lot, but uh, they play a lot of guys in the secondary who are linebackers, basically. Um, and, you know, the highest rated guy in our uh, individual player ratings in their secondary is Chaz Ayu, who had a, a season ending injury last season, but, you know, he started the first game at linebacker. Last season, they had multiple guys that they moved to safety spots and they do a bunch of different hybrid positions. I think they list 17, 18 positions on their, their depth chart. And so a lot of guys do kind of, you know, pseudo safety linebacker uh, mix hybrid type thing. But that also tells me, and you can see a little bit at, at times that they're just not quite as fast, not quite as athletic on the back end as, as a lot of teams. So they're going to be playing, you know, Pac-12 opponents. Uh, Arizona State certainly athletic enough to, to challenge uh, and, and attack down the field. Washington State, we know, throws a ton. USC in, in the regular season finale. So I think they'll be tested a little bit more defensively this season and with some, you know, turnover, especially in the secondary, and just not quite as athletic there as, as they are uh, at, at other spots. They're really, really good on the line of scrimmage, uh, have good linebackers, have good running backs, you know, tight ends, things like that. But sort of that, they're they're lacking elite athleticism on the back end of the defense. So that to me is is I think the biggest uh, question. They played well enough last year to to you know it wasn't wasn't a major deficiency, but something to to watch I think this year. But uh, they're they're still solid. I mean, favored in nine games, a lot of them are relatively close. Uh, they are they are an underdog of more than a field goal only against USC in our projections, uh, but they are a favorite of more than eight points in only one, two, three, four, five of those games. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of games that could go either way. Their team performance ratings are, are carrying a, a good amount of weight in their projection, how we have them 30th overall. So it's, it's with the turnover, they've got some, some key spots, I'd be a little bit cautious, but, you know, having favored to win nine, having a projected win total right at eight, I, I feel pretty good at over seven. Uh, I think seven is probably the floor. And, you know, if, if uh, BYU gets seven or eight wins, I think that's a, a solid uh, reloading year. 
not necessarily a full rebuild, but a reloading year. And and then especially if Conover, who's a redshirt freshman, uh, takes over, I guess Baylor Romney is just a sophomore. If, if one of those guys takes over and becomes the guy at quarterback, they're set up, I think, to, to you know, continue to be a top 25 caliber team in, in years to come. But this year, maybe a small step back, especially with the returning production, uh, you know, numbers so low. But they're going to be a dangerous team. They're going to, you know, play up against those uh, Power 5 opponents, those Pac-12 opponents, and might even knock one off. But uh, eight or nine wins seems seems uh, likely to me. I mean, I, I think a bowl is possible, or excuse me, a bowl is, is probable, likely, um, and eight or nine wins is, is definitely possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, eight or nine wins is definitely in play here too, Xavier, because when you look at the schedule, they have the five wins that Nick mentioned, and then they got to get to get to that over seven total, three more wins. They got to beat three of Utah, Arizona State, uh, Boise State, uh, Baylor, Washington State, Virginia, um, and maybe USC, but you don't even need to count that one in there. So I, I think that's doable for BYU. I know they lose a lot, but this is a, a pretty good core they have coming back. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, when a lot of people are going to absolutely write them off a little bit to start the year off. Um, I think that that just when you get a guy who goes number two overall in Zach Wilson, people feel like that position or the person that, to replace that position is, is going to be much, much, much uh, less than Zach Wilson is. But the problem is, or the, the good thing for them, is that they do bring a lot of talent in their skill positions. And that's what I love so much about what Nick was talking about, is that when you talk about running back, you talk about receiver, something I always allude to on this podcast is when you have veteran guys on the outside and, and in the backfield, bringing in a younger quarterback, whether whether it is Baylor Romney or Jaron Hall, you know, it, it, regardless you have guys who know what they're doing. You have guys who understand the offense like the back of their hand. And, you know, elder skill players can make a young quarterback look better. It just is what it is. That, that is something consistently that you see throughout football is when you have elder or, or more senior-laden skill positions, even having a young quarterback is okay. And they can and they are okay with that. The perfect example was that was Tua. Tua was a younger quarterback. Yes, obviously Tua was very talented, but he had guys on his team that were – that were older, that were a part of Alabama's team for a very long time and made him look good even when he didn't. And the same thing can be said about about BYU when it comes to a Baylor Romney who's going to come in and is not going to have nearly as much game time as Zach Wilson did, but will have the ability to create a relationship with these guys, probably has one already with being a sophomore on the team. He's already been there for two years. He has a, uh, at least a you know off-the-field relationship with these guys. I think on the field you'll see – then build that chemistry as the year goes on. And they have the games to do that, you know, versus Arizona. We all talked about Arizona is not going to be a good ball club this year. That's an opportunity to build chemistry. Utah, we're expecting them to maybe be a little bit better, but we don't think Utah is going to be maybe the Utah of old that was competing for a Pac-12 championship. So, you know, those are two games right there before you see an Arizona State team where you can build that confidence. Arizona State game is at home as well, which I really like. Nick, you, you, you hit on it already. My, my only concern with them is that secondary. And when and they run one of my least favorite defenses with a bad secondary. You cannot run a 3-3-5 and your secondary is the is possibly your Achilles heel. That's just not a, a formula for, you know, that's not a recipe for um, for positives. When you're playing offenses like an Arizona State, like a USC, like a Boise State, that we expect, you know, we just talked about in the episode previously. Go give it a listen. That Boise State expects to get more, you know, 
they, they expect to throw the ball around a little bit more, you know, and when they expect to go into more of an air raid or closer to an air raid type passing style where they've been so run heavy. So when you're playing teams that, that are looking to, you know, throw the ball around the yard, especially where you're having three down linemen. So you're already playing against, you know, an odd front. You're, you're really putting a lot of pressure on that back end and they're going to have to hold up in those games. If BYU is going to get to their over uh, uh, of seven. And I don't think they will because I'm not, so I'm not confident enough in that secondary uh, weekend and week out. Now we've seen secondaries grow throughout a year. First five weeks, we've seen secondaries be absolutely abysmal last, you know, last seven weeks, they look really, really good. So there is possibility for this secondary to grow throughout the year. Uh, but, I'm going to they're going to have to grow fast because their schedule is not easy this year. They're going to have to go very, very quickly uh, if they're going to see a team that, you know, can get anywhere close to, to, to being an, an eight or nine win ball club this year. Um, you know, I, I'm going to change my tune a little bit. I am going to take the over. I, I just feel like eight wins is a it is a possibility now that I'm really, really looking at it. And when I say six wins, it doesn't sit well with me when it comes to BYU uh, with all the talent that they are bringing back at the skill positions at the offensive line. I am going to go with the over here. I'm not going to go with the under. I, th- I think this team has the ability to do so. Uh, and on top of that, a lot of their away games for me aren't overly scary, quote unquote. I don't think it's terrifying to go to Utah State, terrifying to go to Washington State. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, yes, they have to play USC on the road and they have to see Georgia. And then I think Georgia Southern might just be a clash of two different offensive styles. I don't think that's a terrifying game, though. Sorry for all my people who live in Statesboro. I, I just don't think that you, your home crowd is going to be the thing that sh- swings that game uh, one way or the other. So I really like their schedule from a home perspective as well. And their away games don't scare me. So, yeah, I think this is a team that can get over eight. And on the recruiting trail. They did what they were supposed to do. They used a really, really good year and hit the recruiting trail hard. They finished second in the independent uh, rankings. They finished 71st nationally. Uh, they have already looking into next year. They're already 65th nationally for 2022. They're taking what, what, what teams should do, which after you have a good year, you use that name as much as you possibly can. Yeah, and, you, and you run it through every kid possible until they say no after being after all the TV time that they were able to accumulate last year. So they're doing a good job on the recruiting trail. And, yeah, I do think this is a team that can go over seven wins. All right, going over to one of the lower-ranked teams in the country in UConn. Uh, look, uh, tough to know what to expect from UConn, especially because they were – them and ODU were the uh, only two teams to play zero games last year. They were 2-10 in 2019. They've had nine consecutive losing seasons. We have them at 3-9, and nine, and their win total is 2. So maybe this is a bettable number. We have them favored to win 2. Talent edge is in 4, though, Nick. So uh, maybe you bet the over on 2 and enjoy yourself some UConn games this year. What do you think? It's, it's tempting, but uh, UConn is our... 130th ranked team so dead last out of out of 130 and it's close i mean they you know they are uh, not uh, completely uh, you know this time last year i we thought utep was number 130 by by a pretty big margin uh and, and this is not that same situation now we also maybe underrated utep a little bit they ended up getting three wins uh, a couple of those against fcs opponents but UConn plays two FCS opponents this season. So if you're looking just purely uh, on the schedule, you would expect they probably would be uh, favored against both of those uh, opponents, Holy Cross and then Yale. Yale is a, a uh, you know, really good recruiter for the FCS level. So 
Um, it, it's very possible, actually, even when that game comes around, that uh, UConn might be in a coin flip or uh, maybe even uh, an underdog. But yeah, it's it's uh, they are at the bottom looking up and, and looking for reasons for optimism. Uh, I guess in, in some ways, them being so much of an unknown might benefit them some. Uh, because they did not play last year, we did not give uh, the players on their roster. We did the same when we talked about uh, Old Dominion, similar similar things where uh, all the other 128 teams, we added that extra experience weight because they had you know a season of some sort uh, with UConn and, and Old Dominion, we decided not to. So we're looking basically other than a couple of transfers that would go one way or the other here at the same depth chart that UConn had as far as their uh, experience and production and, and all of that goes from where we were entering the 2020 season when, when we thought we might uh, have them play a, a full year. But there, there are some pieces here and there to, uh, to like, even though they rank 125th overall in roster strength, 126th on offense, 123rd on defense. Kevin Mensa is a, a really solid running back. A couple of times, um, uh, you know, thousand yard rusher. He is certainly capable. I think of doing that again. Would be uh, expected to carry a heavy load for them offensively, especially as they kind of figure out their quarterback position. Jackson Zergotis is is uh, a returning starter from 2019. Actually, one of seven offensive players who were uh, starters back from that 2019 season, but. Uh, he's in a three-way battle for that quarterback job. Uh, Steven Krajewski is somebody who's you know seen the field a bit for games played. Uh, and then Micah Leon is a transfer from NC State, former uh, walk-on level player at, at NC State, but somebody that they think you know is capable of, of coming in and, and competing for this job. And the three of them uh, were all you know getting reps in practice last season and, and will be uh, competing leading up to that week one game, week zero game, actually, against Fresno State. So we'll get to see UConn pretty early. But, uh, you know, they, they kind of have to figure that out a little bit. They will be able to lean on Kevin Mensa. They did add some depth uh, with Robert Burns from the University of Miami transferring him. So uh, you would expect that that he's going to be a kind of, you know, thunder to Mensa's lightning as he's listed it at 225 and it's uh, listed at 198. But that, that might be a little generous. Um, but pretty good one-two combo at, at running back. And then Cameron Ross was really impressive as a true freshman in, in 2019. Uh, he and Matt Drayton gave UConn a, a couple of, uh, you know, solid freshman wide receivers to build around. And if, you know, one of those quarterbacks steps up, improves as a passer compared to where they were in 2019, they at least have some options, some, some uh, playmakers to work with that should keep them competitive, uh, especially against the, the weaker teams on the schedule. Offensive line is a concern. Uh, they do have uh, just a couple of starters back from that uh, 2019 unit. They are going to be relying on a, a junior college transfer at center who came in as a, uh, you know, somebody that they were excited about. And then they added a, a transfer tackle, Valentin Sin from Colorado. So, you know, you, you think that maybe they'll be able to co uh, cobble together a, a competent uh, offense, 
But like, you know, like the teams that we've talked about already in this group, quarterback is a question. It's it's the first thing they're going to have to get figured out. Defensively, I think, you know, there's a, there's a chance, at least statistically, that UConn could be a, a pretty decent defense. I mean, you know, at least in the 80s, 70s, something like that. I mean, not getting too crazy here, but this was statistically – the worst defense we'd ever seen just a few years ago. And for them to, you know, make some progress, a guy like Travis Jones uh, has an NFL body. I mean, 6'4", 330 plus. Uh, he's lost a little weight from when he uh, originally signed and seems to be getting a little bit of buzz. I mean, maybe he's uh, a draftable player on this unit, at least somebody I would expect to, to get an NFL opportunity. Uh, DJ Morgan. Uh, transferred to UConn from Notre Dame. So he's somebody who uh, came in as a, a highly rated guy, one of the highest rated players on the roster, um, and, you know, played decently well in, in 2019. Omar Fort, similarly, is a, a smaller body, a, a guy who's uh, shifted a little bit between safety and linebacker, but somebody who's been experienced, who's been productive. The secondary, though, is is a concern. Um, they lost Keyshawn Paul, who was a, a 10 game starter to, uh, the transfer portal. He ended up at, uh, Temple and, you know, just the rest of the group, not a lot of experience, uh, looks like 17 career starts among the entire, uh, depth chart as, as we see it. So there's, you know, some concern and, and with them being out of sight, out of mind for a year. You don't really know. Is this a team that used that time to uh, get a lot better, get stronger in the weight room? Um, you know, something that, that we don't spend a ton of time talking about is like team chemistry. It's possible that that a year uh, where they were only able to, uh, you know, play one another and, and, and uh, scrimmage and practice and things like that. You know, who knows? It, it, it sounds like some of the things I read. They're trying to point to that as a, a benefit of last season, that they're a tighter team. Don't know how that's going to uh, you know, play out on the field. But at least the way our, our numbers are looking, it's, it's going to be difficult for UConn to get you know, much more than, than two wins. Uh, we do give them the benefit of the doubt in those two FCS games, have them favored by you know, a little more than a touchdown in both of those. And then they play some winnable games. They play UMass. Uh, I mean, Army is is probably a much better team, but uh, that's a game that at least talent wise, you know, the way that that we calculate it is is similar. Um, it's 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 going to be tough to to knock off obviously a, a UCF or or a Clemson. We have them as as a huge huge underdogs there, but Vanderbilt. You know, winless team last year, new head coach. We think they'll be better, but maybe in the right scenario, who knows? You know, that that might be a game that's within reach. Wyoming, not a super great recruiter. Good team, solid team. But again, you know, when we're looking at talent edges, that's, that's pretty close. Wyoming has only a one and a half point talent edge in that game. And UConn gets that game at home. That is a long, I just drove from New Hampshire to Nevada. That's a long way. I know they don't have to drive, but that's still a pretty long flight too. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's something at least to consider. I'm not saying UConn's going to win those games, but 
certainly at least three, maybe four winnable games if if you uh, put Middle Tennessee into that mix. But, you know, you're going to have to take care of business in, in all of those games to get over the two. I, I did put them down because we have two and a half basically as our projected win total. Did say that they could get to, to three and nine. Personally, that seems like a little bit of a stretch to me. Two and ten is probably more likely. But I think under two isn't just isn't that likely. I mean, two FCS opponents, multiple other winning games or winnable games. Even though they're our lowest rated team, I, I think that that you know this is a team capable of getting at least two victories next season. I don't think you're asking too much for uh, so. the o- the over two wins here. But what I'll say, Xavier, is I am just not going to put my hard earned dollars in, in into the trust of UConn. I, there's just no way I can do it. And no. uh, like Nick said. There's winnable games here, so it's definitely possible, but uh, I just I cannot do it. Yeah, no, this isn't UConn basketball. I have no trust here. No faith. Uh, I, I can't do it. Uh, and, and where I would think absolutely there's there's winnable games here, and that's the problem with the, the schedule, is we say that they're winnable, but are we 100% sure of that outside of maybe Holy Cross? I, I'm not. I'm not comfortable saying that whatsoever, and you know, I, I can't you know, yes, they played UMass. I, I'm. I think they would beat Yale. I'm not so sure about that either, though. There's. There's just too many variables here for me to say that this is a team that can guarantee me three wins. I. I'm so I'm not going to do that. Uh, also, just to hit on real quickly. I mean, they. You know, I don't. I don't know if this will have any impact, but they do have two weeks to prepare for Clemson. They not only get one, they get two off weeks back to back to prepare for Clemson. So, so you mean maybe they should be uh, favored at more than zero percent? I mean, maybe I don't know what the over what the the, the score line is on 50. that. But I want to drop. We have we really? have Clemson favored by almost fifty one. I mean, maybe you should drop it down to forty two. <laughs> three weeks, right. to, three weeks to prepare for Clemson. That's a long I, time. I'll take Clemson. <laughs> we want to bet that one, Xavier. I'll take Clemson by fifty. You know what? I mean. Yes, yes, I will. Yes. We we will, I will absolutely throw that into the betting game. I will I will I will go ahead and do that one. I refrain from last podcast, but I just think this one's a fun one to do. I'll, I'll throw like a hundred bucks on that one just to see UConn possibly hold them to forty five. I mean, they, I don't they, even know if there would be an actual line out for that. I mean, you and I can bet it. Uh, I'll say I'll take Clemson minus the fifty. Okay. So, all right. So I, when it's I, I seventy think- to three. I can laugh all the way to the bank with my hundred fake dollars. So uh, I love it. Absolutely, you can. I think I think Dabo will call the dogs off as respect for UConn. Uh, uh, but no, I I think that was just a, a funny adage into their schedule that they get two bye weeks before Clemson, um, which is also a game on the road. But I, I just for their schedule, I'm I'm refraining from saying that there's any possibility that these team or any guarantee that this team gets to three victories. Um, I'm I'm just not comfortable with it at all. Uh, and looking at the teams that they have to play, even on the even the games that they get at home, you know, maybe you know, sleeper, maybe Middle Tennessee is really that bad, and there's an opportunity for them to sneak one there. I mean, there is there is a lot of ifs and maybes that I've said throughout this entire throughout this segment. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from saying that they'll go over and that this is an easy bet. 
Uh, on the recruiting trail, they're actually not as bad as I thought they would be co coming in. They didn't finish dead last in the independence, so that's a positive. They finished sixth. Uh, they finished 114th nationally, which is better than a couple of teams we talked about last week. So I'm actually a little bit more surprised that UConn is, you know, bringing in more, more, uh, a little bit more talent than I thought that they would be. Uh, most of them being three stars, and they were also able to bring in a couple of guys from uh, Miami and Colorado. So they're doing a better job recruiting uh, next year. They're currently ranked 79th nationally for 2022 and third in the independent. So maybe they're, you know, they're starting to get, a, you know, maybe they're taking some notes from their basketball team on how to recruit and how to put it in and how to put uh, pieces together. So I think UConn is a team that will go under this year, but things are looking up as of right now. So, you know, maybe in a couple of years, three wins will be their, their actual line instead of just, you know, they're over. All right, let's go over to Liberty and uh, you know, this is kind of opposite. They're they're ranked 40, right? 90 spots better than UConn for us. And with the emergence of Malik Willis, they finished a uh, exploded to a 10 and one season, including a bowl win over Coastal Carolina. Uh, their lone loss came by a single point. The DK win total is nine. We have them right in line there at nine and three. Favorite to win eleven. Uh, talent edges in seven. Nick, so looks like it could be a nice big year for Liberty here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, different than the three teams that we talked about, uh, Liberty has absolutely zero question at quarterback. Malik Willis, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have super high expectations. I mean, I thought that he would uh, be a good player and, and certainly, you know, was a, a talented guy who was at Auburn earlier in his career uh you know i i didn't know exactly what to expect but he came in and, and very quickly became one of the most productive exciting uh explosive quarterbacks in the country and and he was the uh leading rusher among all quarterbacks last season uh he's a guy who's got you know nfl talent evaluators really excited Arm strength is absolutely not a question. I mean, he's he's got every tool uh, to be a great, great player and, and got off to, you know, an absolutely incredible start as a starter last season. So uh, there's a ton to like there. He's going to be one of the best players in college football. Uh, it sounds like, you know, off the field, everything is moving uh, in, a, in a really, really positive direction. I saw a quote in the, the athletic uh, write-up, the state of the program on Liberty, where you know he said that when he was at Auburn, he, he did get a little bit uh, lax behind Jarrett Stidham and, and just kind of expected that he would rise to, to the number one spot on the depth chart when Stidham left and, and uh, maybe didn't take things as seriously as he should have. Uh, ended up getting beat out by Bo Nix and... and uh, then at that point, you know, decided to, to move on and, and says now he prepares every day like he's fighting for his job. And, and you know, Liberty doesn't have any anything to fight for, especially after he uh, won it last season and, and played so well. But great to hear that, that you know, maybe what was, took a, a bit of a negative spot in, in his career, turned it around and, and now is using it as motivation to be the best quarterback he can possibly be. So really excited to, to see what he does this year. And offensively, you know, I mean, there's, there's not an elite playmaker necessarily that he's got to go to, but I think there's enough. Uh, there's enough around. They're deep at running back. 
Joshua Mack has, has been a starter there for a while. They added TJ Green, a uh, transfer from Utah. Cedro Lewis is one of those you know skill set guys that I just absolutely love. He's super, super fast and a small guy who can help out as a receiver, you know, in the slot, out of the backfield, that sort of thing. But he's also capable of, of breaking off a big run, had like a 70-yarder against Syracuse this year. Uh, I just happened to, to catch a, a, you know, watch, rewatch that game uh, a little bit earlier on. And impressive. I mean, and, and then at the receiver position, I liked – you know, DJ Stubbs and Kevin Shaw. I like Johnny Hutley as a tight end, as a, as a receiving tight end. Certainly has some work to do uh, as a blocker. But, um, you know, they were, they were guys who could make plays in different spots. I, I think I liked Shaw a little bit more. He, he kind of flashed for me with some impressive catches at times. But, you know, one thing that Hugh Freeze has, has done in recent years at Liberty is not afraid to go into the transfer portal and, and get talented guys who need a second opportunity. Uh, they brought in uh, J.J. Holloman, formerly at Georgia, last year at FIU. Didn't go great, but he steps in as a, a really talented player who maybe you know could, could be that go-to number one receiver and, and uh, let Stubbs and, and Shaw work uh, you know, over the middle and, and on shorter routes, things like that. Maybe Hallman's kind of that deep shot guy. Uh, they also brought in Austin uh, Agumakin from uh, North Texas, who uh, has played a lot of football, played, you know, more snaps last season than anybody on the Liberty roster, almost 500. So uh, you throw in some of the younger guys who uh, got some experience and, and flash some potential like Demario Douglas, uh, CJ Daniels as well. So, you know, I, I think that they've got enough pieces around Willis to where this is, is an offense that's going to continue to improve. I don't think last year was their ceiling by any stretch, especially when you consider this was an offensive line that ranked 18th in our O-line performance ratings. All five starters are back. Uh, it's a top 20 offensive line. I mean, this is legitimately a talented and, and very solid offensive line, Cooper McCall uh, being, you know, arguably the the best of the bunch. He's, he's not the most experienced by any stretch. There are three guys on, on the left, uh, or excuse me, you know, including the center, Thomas Sargent, uh, all have 20 or more starts. McCall's got 15 career starts, but, you know, last year was uh, a really, really impressive year for him. Graded out super well, run blocker. Uh, you know, some something to be excited about. This offensive line should, you know, do a good job of, of opening holes for Willis and, and giving him time to operate. But I think offensively, you know, as good as they were last year, and they did rank 14th nationally in, in our team performance ratings, I include the number three rushing offense, uh, top 25 passing attack. I, I think they have an opportunity to be even better. This could be a, a top 10 performance offense in, in 2021 and defensively they weren't that bad I mean they they uh I say not that bad they were actually quite good um they they didn't allow a ton of points uh the defensive line I I like a lot I think they've got some pass rushers who can be really uh you know give defenses a hard time Treshawn Clark Darrell Johnson are, are kind of the the top guys both of them had you know over 15 production points in our calculations last year, both are, uh, you know, 90 or above or, or very close to actually Johnson, 88, 
uh, Treshawn Clark, 94 in our individual player ratings. But then the two guys that they've got, you know, behind them are, are really, really talented as well. Steven Sings and then Akil Washington. I know uh, I, you know, am always scrolling through Twitter, of course, and, and uh, I like when there are NFL draft guys uh, digging in and, and will post, uh, you know, what they're seeing as, as they're looking uh, at tape. And, and uh, one happened to be looking at uh, Liberty's uh, really, really impressive linebacker, Anthony Butler, who's an undrafted free agent. But maybe, you know, a draftable guy had a, had a huge season. But they said that Akil Washington just kept popping on screen. And he only played 140 snaps or, or 188 snaps, I should say. But somebody who is just impossible to ignore when he got an opportunity. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be exciting on the defensive line off the edge. Uh, the secondary is experienced. And then they added... Uh, two players through the transfer portal who've been starters in the past. Skylar Thomas was a starter at safety at Washington State. Deron Lowe was a starting corner at UTEP, best defender on, on the UTEP roster last year, or best second, uh, best best corner, best defensive back. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're pretty good. They should be good on both ends of the defense. The linebacker core, you know, maybe since they lost Butler, takes a little bit of a step back, but I think this – still will be a solid unit. They were 41st in team performance defensively last year, including top 10 against the pass. So with that pass rush, with that secondary, should continue to, to you know, be among uh, those, you know, top 10 level uh, pass defensive numbers, I, I would expect this year as well. The schedule is a little tougher. Uh, they do play UAB. Uh, they do play North Texas, who can be an explosive offense. Late in the season, a couple of, uh, you know, really, really tough opponents, Ole Miss, Louisiana, but it's a very manageable, it's a, it's a manageable schedule. Like you said, we only have them as a, uh, an underdog in one game. That's against Ole Miss. Um, we do have them, you know, about a field goal favorite at home against Louisiana. Uh, we do have them favored by a little less than a field goal against UAB. Syracuse is a power five opponent, but certainly somebody who's who's beatable they beat them last year um so liberty is a you know is a team capable of repeating last year's results 10 10 wins is in the realm of possibility there are some games that could go either way there are some games where you know maybe we're a little bit higher on them than than the odds makers i'm not sure if there were a line out there right now, and I didn't look, I probably should have. But on that Louisiana game, my my instinct tells me maybe the, the odds makers would have Louisiana as a slight favorite in that game. But, uh, you know, with a bye week the week before, with it at home, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility Liberty would be favored in that either. So uh, I, I don't know that they'll be able to get through and, and win every single time as a favorite. It's when a team jumps up kind of out of nowhere like they did last season, I tend to expect a little bit of regression. Maybe something doesn't bounce the right way and, and they lose one to UAB or, or, you know, maybe even Troy in week two is not a gimme. Uh, I expect they probably should win that game, but um, you know, maybe one or two just don't quite go the right way, but still nine wins certainly is, is I think, um, 
a good expectation and 10 wins is, is certainly possible, especially with M Malik Willis. Needs to improve a little bit as a passer, but all the skills are there and, and he certainly could be uh, one of the best players in all of college football. So we've got that to build around and a, a great play caller like uh, Hugh Freeze. You know, they're, they're going to be very, very difficult to stop all, all this season. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, when, when you look at this Liberty squad, uh, this this number makes me a little nervous, but it is tantalizing because, like Nick said, they're favored to win 11 of 12 games. Ole Miss is the only one they're not favored uh, to win in. Every other game, they have the, the slight line. Like he said, Louisiana might be favored by the odds makers, but we have them. Uh, we have Liberty slightly favored. Same thing with Troy, which is their second game of the season. Uh, yeah. then, you know, Syracuse, maybe you can throw in there. UAB is the other game that they're less than 50% or right around just over, excuse me, 50% to win. So it's hard to, it's hard to find the losses here. The schedule is fairly favorable for them. Yeah. I think where you really look for the losses is possibly understanding that maybe a team like a Syracuse doesn't take them as lightly as they did last season. Uh, that would be the only thing I would say, you know, Nick it kind of alluded to it. Now they have a target on their back. Liberty last year was a team that kind of came in a little bit under the radar coming into the year. Yeah. We talked about Malik Willis to start the season off, but I remember even last year, Scott, you and I uh, both dis disagreed that Liberty, I think would beat Syracuse in that matchup uh, when we were talking about it last week, last year. Um, so I think, a lot of teams this year will not be taking Liberty nearly as lightly coming into it. Uh, so that may be where you find some of the losses. Uh, a team like a Troy is going to be looking as a, this is a big game for them. You know, this is a, this is a massive game. Syracuse for them, uh, you know, this is a game that they can't lose two years in a row. You know, they're going to be looking for a little bit of revenge, especially with it being at home as well. Uh, UAB, this is on the CB. You know, this, these are these are bigger games than maybe they would have thought of last year going into those weeks, understanding that Malik Willis is probably going to be a guy who, you know, is at the very least thought of as a, as a draft sleeper, um, you know, that, you know, is going to bring eyes and bring, you know, definitely attention to each game that he's in uh, week in and week out. So that's at least, I think, what may tell me that they lose a little bit more than the nine that they're slated to, you know, that, they, that they're slated to win. Maybe eight is something I'm more comfortable with. Um, because when I look at their schedule, the, only, the other thing about their schedule is it's, it's really a war of attrition for them this year. I really don't like the way that, that they only, that their bye week is until November 13th. I think that's a really rough time of it to play 10 straight games, um, you know, where, you know, you're traveling week in and week out, you know, they've got, you know, a lot of stints here where, you know, in the last two games for them are both at home. So they're playing a lot of away games in those 10 games as well. So I really dislike that from a, from a fatigue standpoint, from a physicality standpoint throughout all year, not being able to have a bye week, not being able to have a break, um, especially when they have to go to Ole Miss right before the bye week. That doesn't seem very promising. I know Ole Miss is the one game that we do is a guaranteed loss at this point. Uh, but I just think that's not favorable either. You know, you're going from New York to Alabama and back to back weeks. You know, I, that's a lot of travel for you know a team in in general. So I'm not too favor too fond of their scheduling. I think that might come into play, especially depending on how deep Hugh Freeze decides to play them, and maybe some of their more middling games, like against the Middle Tennessee or against a you know a North Texas. Does he decide to rest a few guys, like in a UMass? Does he call the dogs off early and allow them to coast because of that fact that they have yet, that they haven't had a bye week? And you know maybe does he does does the practice schedule? get dumbed down because of how many games that they have to play in a row. They're going to have to figure out ways to kind of keep their legs fresh throughout that time, uh, even though they're only 18, 19 years old. 
people still get tired. Uh, so that's a concern for me as well. But other than that, I think this is a team, like I said, at worst is an eight win ball club. Uh, I think that they, you know, and I'd really be pulled, I'd really be pressed to find four like guaranteed losses. I think Ole Miss and Louisiana are their toughest tests. And then maybe Syracuse and UAB, maybe uh, just because those two games are on the road. So, you know, and I, like I said, Syracuse will be, you know, looking for a little bit more revenge after last year's game. They'll have a little bit more film on how they played against them in particular. Um, but I still think this is a really good Liberty team. I think it's a Liberty team that could absolutely still win nine plus. Um, I just think that maybe they do have, now that the target's on their back, they'll slump a little bit more or teams will just play better against them or be looking to play better against them than they have in the, uh, have previously. Surprisingly, um, they haven't done as great on the recruiting trust. I thought they may have, especially with Hugh Freeze and the recruiter he has been uh, touted as being, especially with his time in the SEC. They finished 112th nationally after finishing 89th in the year prior in 2020. They finished fourth in the, in the independence, dropping down a spot from third uh, in the year prior. So, I mean, on the recruiting trail, now, granted, they did bring in six transfers, and those transfers don't go to anything uh, regarding their recruiting rankings. However, I did expect Hugh Freeze to possibly do a little bit more, especially with how successful of a year it was last year, you know, and to build on that kind of momentum um, in a school that, you know, let's be perfectly honest with us, uh, I would say before last year, not a lot of people even knew where Liberty was as far as on a map. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think Hugh Freeze has to do a better job on recruiting Troy using this momentum with a player like Malik Willis to really bolster their, you know, to stock the cupboards uh, after he leaves. Yeah, I mean, Liberty is going to be a fun team to watch. I mean, Malik Willis just makes them, you know, kind of appointment watching. They're going to be a ton of fun. But let's go to a team that may be a little less fun in uh, UMass here. Uh, we got them ranked 124. Another team, I mean, this is uh, tied for the lowest win total. One and a half is their DK win total. We have them at three and nine, which could make it a bettable number here, Nick. Uh, four and four for them, but... Uh, they didn't take the field last year until October 17th. They're outscored 161 to 12 in four games. Walt Bell is one in 15 as their coach. So uh, not a lot of positives to take away from last year, but that's a good thing. We're moving forward. We can put last year behind us. Yeah, I, I, you, <laughs> you said it, it looks like a bettable number. For better or worse, it, it absolutely is. And, and uh, I will... I've, I've alluded to this a little bit on uh, Twitter, or, or actually, I guess alluded is not that word. I've outright said it, that uh, I personally am more invested in UMass over one and a half than I am in anything else. Uh, and I, I was in a, a, a group DM with, with some uh, college fantasy football folks, uh, and the, the topic came up, and, and I looked at my, uh, you know, my, my list and right now, the the amount I'm invested in in uh, UMass over one and a half would pay off more for me than if either Oklahoma or Georgia won the national championship. So that that sort of shows my level of investment, and it's it's not. I don't expect it to be fun by any stretch. Uh, it, it is definitely a schedule play, and you know, looking at the first five weeks of the schedule, it's, it's really, really difficult to, to find a win. So I'm, I'm going to have to wait until the, the second half to stress, uh, you know, to sweat it out for sure. But uh, UMass plays two FCS opponents. They also play New Mexico state. They also play UConn. So one and a half, you would think two of the worst FBS teams, uh, specifically our two 
lowest rated teams plus two CF uh, FCS opponents, Rhode Island and Maine. I know Maine was pretty good a couple of years ago. Rhode Island's had NFL guys in recent years, but still would expect those to be uh, winnable games, if not games that they should win. So, you know, I see UMass is, is absolutely a, a bettable team here. So it's uh, a little bit tricky. I've mentioned in the past that the way we do projections, sometimes we have struggled with teams at the very, very bottom. And UMass absolutely last year, only three, or excuse me, only four games, but they ended up absolutely at the bottom, dead last in team performance. Uh, those four losses, looking at post-game win expectancy numbers uh, from collegefootballdata.com, only one game did they have a uh, post-game win expectancy greater than zero, and that was uh, when they were 1% against Marshall. So, <laughs> you know, they were not only winless, they were absolutely dominated every game. They were shorthanded in a lot of it. Quarterback has been a major issue in uh, Walt Bell's tenure. He uh, has played seven quarterbacks the last two seasons. Three uh, quarterbacks started last year. And then he's going to be relying on, uh, hopefully, uh, we've, we've penciled him in as the starter. And it's part of the reason why we do project, uh, you know, four wins or thereabouts. But Tyler Lytle, Power 5 transfer from Colorado, uh, from California, then via Colorado, high three-star guy, hasn't played a lot, only played seven games, only 20 snaps combined over the last two years, but he's easily the highest rated player in our individual player ratings. He's almost an 80. That, in theory, should solidify that position. Uh, it is not, you know, uh, <laughs> give UMass a, a, a strength necessarily. They're still 106th in our QB rankings, but that's much better than a distant 130 last year when they were starting guys like Will Koch and Garrett uh, DeZuro, who were in the 60s in our player ratings. They also beat, you know, beefed up their running game a little bit, added Karan uh, Adams from Rutgers. You expect him to come in and at least, you know, kind of be a 1A, 1B uh, at the running back position with Ellis Merriweather, who is a, a bigger back junior college guy who started all four games for them last year. At the receiver position, they added Rico Arnold who played at Clark Central, which is actually the, the school uh, where I coached in Georgia. I didn't coach Rico Arnold, but uh, he had, he came after my time there. But, uh, you know, he was an all-freshman performer in Conference USA at Charlotte, uh, ended up transferring to UMass and, and expect him to be a starter there. Jermaine Johnson has shown flashes at times. At the tight end position, they've got a pretty intriguing player in uh, Josiah Johnson, who does some, you know, short yardage, wildcat quarterback type stuff for them. Uh, and then the offensive line, though they did lose Larnell Coleman, who was a seventh round draft pick uh, for the Dolphins, they added two you know, potential starters at left tackle and Willie Allen and, and Brian Parrish to fit in with the four returning starters that they've got. Allen was uh, originally at, at uh, Louisiana Tech then transferred to Michigan, didn't play, ends up at UMass uh, this year. And, and then uh, uh, Parrish is, is uh, transferring from North Texas. So, you know, they're, they're looking at FBS guys strengthening uh, the roster, even though they're not necessarily getting superstar guys by any stretch or, or guys uh, in some cases who've played a ton in recent years. They are at least solidifying and adding talent to each offensive position group. Defensively, 
you know, they, they, they lost some of their better players, unfortunately, to the transfer portal. They lost a couple of guys on offense as well, including uh, Samuel Imelis, who went to uh, Louisiana Tech, transfer wide receiver. But, you know, the linebacker position was hit pretty hard. Mike Rune, Cole McCabry, uh, both of those guys are, are starters, multiple year starters, or, or at least, you know, major contributors over the last couple of years. Uh, they've moved on to the to the transfer portal, but they uh, have actually, you know, some reasons I think to be excited about uh, the linebacker position. They've got a handful of redshirt freshmen who apparently really impressed the coaching staff this spring. Uh, I saw Jarrell Johnson mentioned a, a couple of times. He's, uh, you know, thin, six three, hundred ninety five is is last I've seen him listed. But apparently was was a really exciting player during the spring. Somebody at, at least to you know know a little bit. Uh, and then you know the defensive line is is uh, relatively experienced. Two returning starters, Avian P, who might be the best player back, actually wasn't a, a a starter last season, but has started ten games in the past. Led the team in in production points with three among those currently on the depth chart. And then the secondary is actually decent i mean they're uh not super high in our individual unit ratings they're 113th but that's certainly the strength of the defense the two corners josh wallace noah boykin put up really good bff grades they didn't play you know many high power passing offenses uh liberty was was the best passing team they played last year and liberty being able to run the ball as, as well as they uh do certainly didn't have to you know attack those guys but there were things to like about that corner combination they also added a couple of power five transfers back there bryce watts who started his career at virginia tech went to north carolina now at umass expect that that he'll have an opportunity to compete for a starting spot and then bryson richardson uh from north carolina as well so i mean they're they are not I don't expect them to be a good team by any stretch. This is not a team that's going to make a run at a bowl game. But I think the transfers that they've got coming in, I think that they've raised the floor just a little bit. And I don't, you know, this is this is not a team against this schedule that's going to go winless again. Uh, and the the way that it sets up with, you know, arguably the two worst FBS opponents that you could have and then two fcs opponents who should you should win those games i know umass has struggled and i I certainly would not say rhode island and maine are both guaranteed wins but i think the floor has been raised enough with some talented guys from power five programs and uh the schedule being you know manageable enough or or weak enough that this team's got to find a way to win two games, right? I mean, just just looking at that schedule. I mean, I'm I'm hoping maybe it's maybe it's more wishful thinking because I know our stats only model actually has them favored in zero games, uh, even those FCS uh, opponents. But I just I, I think over one and a half is my you know bet of the year of the century of the week whatever. <laughs> I'm I'm all in on UMass over one and a half. Yeah, I mean. Xavier, this looks like a good bet. I mean, I'm not for usually uh, taking a team like UConn or a team that's for, um, you know, 
uh, underrated and going to lose a lot of games by blowout. A lot right? of points. But yeah. when you look at the schedule, Nick mentioned it. The two FCS uh, teams, uh, Rhode Island and Maine, and those are back-to-back. Uh, they could beat New Mexico State. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Uh, UConn is a beatable team. And after that, looks like a lot of blowouts, but maybe Eastern Michigan, if you c- catch them slipping on a week, you know, it's uh, the home game. is a possibility as well. So yeah. I like that. You know what? I'm going to add this to my board too. I'm going to ride with Nick. I'm going to take UMass. So we're both invested and both rooting for them. What do you think, Nick? No, I will say, I will say, and I okay. do appreciate that support. And I, I agree that Eastern Michigan is not a guaranteed loss, even though they, you know, probably should be. But Eastern Michigan almost slipped up and lost to an FCS opponent two years ago. Uh, but it seems like some people are, are like-minded with us because uh, this last I checked, and I checked it on Monday morning, I believe. But at DraftKings, and it could be different in you know other places. That's just the one I have uh, familiarity with from from when I was in New Hampshire recently. But it was at uh, minus 160 now. So it is okay. it is a little bit expensive. But uh, that at least shows that, you know, the, there are people out there who uh, believe like we do that, that this is a, a good bet. So, yeah, the, the line isn't moving. So, uh, you know, I mean, the minus 160 is, but the, the total isn't moving, I guess I should say. So, uh, so we like that. But what do you think about uh, UMass uh, for 2021? Here's uh, Xavier. I mean, I, I think the last game of the season could be a grudge match to see which one gets to two. I mean, New Mexico State <laughs> versus uh, UMass. Nick, Scott, if that's going to be any week to talk about UMass and those two teams, sign me up for that. Uh, you know, I think that, that, that's finally that'll be the UMass game that they wasn't against Rutgers a couple years back, but nah, or, or last that, that, year. but that right there, but, New Mexico State, November twenty seventh. Maybe that's the one. That, that could might be. be the one. Uh, you know. Uh, also, before I continue, do you want to take a gentleman's bet that they go that they 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 uh, they're able to cover against Florida State after having a bye week? Uh, sure. Uh, what's the line? I don't care. I'll take Florida State. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, these bye weeks are just in front, in front of some amazing games. What is know? the line? Just so I know. I, I don't know. I, I, I uh, it no doesn't clue. matter. You know, we'll, we'll do 100 on the other one. We'll do 100 here on this one also. <laughs> what is it? Nick? Our, ours is Florida State minus 20. 20.24. So, <laughs> I mean, that mean. sounds great it's to me. That's too close. <laughs> That's too close, Xavier says. That's he wanted to bet without even knowing the line. Now it's too close, he says. <laughs> but they have a bye week. That's your whole point. Come on. Yeah, but I thought it was going to be like Florida State by like 35. Florida State hasn't been good recently. Why it's would you US. expect them? Yeah, yeah, That's true. So I was thinking maybe the – All right, the well, we'll cancel that one. We'll stay. Yeah, I'll, still, I'll still take Clemson by 50. So, yeah, that's fine. I'm okay. Um, yeah, I think I think UMass might have an opportunity here to get two wins, man. I think I think their their schedule definitely lends itself to at least being competitive in some of these games. I think that's maybe the best step, the best direction they could be going in, which is competitiveness at this point. Um, you know, I'm really looking for I'm looking for them to be competitive against Eastern Michigan. They to be competitive slash beat 
UConn to be competitive against Maine to be competitive. Like that, that's what I'm looking for week in and week out to see if this team actually can make that two win margin by the end of the year. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to keep tabs on both uh, Liber- uh, no, sorry, UMass and New Mexico State throughout the season because, you know, to see which team is the more competitive one week in and week out. That's going to be the best barometer for that matchup at the end of the year uh, to see if they could get over that two went that, that one and a half. Um, and with both you guys having money on this, that's, that, that's a very important matchup for us as, as of right now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't see why not. I don't see why they can't get the two wins. I'm, I'm, I, if they get the two wins before that New Mexico state game, it's going to be a really good year for UMass. Um, but I, I think that they can absolutely do it. I think their schedule, uh, lends to them being able to do so. Nick has his fingers crossed. Uh, I think you and all of Massachusetts has their fingers crossed when it comes to that team as well. So, um, on the recruiting trail, it, they finished 116th nationally. They finished seventh dead last in the independence. Uh, I will say that currently speaking, going into 2022, we have an NA. It's a not applicable. So um, I don't know what's going on in UMass, but just, <laughs> it's time to get somebody. They've got currently one hard commit, uh, who uh, an unrated uh, quarterback. So they need to get on the recruiting trail ASAP. Um, as I'm talking, they should be do, making phone calls because right now they don't have a recruiting class going into next year as, as it's currently uh, as it's currently stated on 247 Sports. Uh, but, yeah, I don't see why UMass can't get the two wins. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be pulling for it. But let's go from UMass uh, on over to New Mexico State here. And uh, New Mexico State actually ranks lower than UMass, as uh, <laughs> Xavier uh, alluded to uh, last season. Uh, they, they didn't play in the fall. They, they did have a one and one record in the spring. Uh, they did lose 43 to 17 to FCS Charlton state. Uh, and they beat FCS Dixie state by a touchdown 36 to 29. So, uh, that gives them a DK win total of one and a half. We have them at two and 10 favorite to win one talent edges in one going to be a long year here, Nick. Yeah, it certainly could be. Uh, and I, for whatever reason, uh, you know, our, our numbers don't necessarily back it up like they like they do with UMass. Uh, we do see New Mexico State as, as being the weaker of the two, but they're very, very similar in a lot of ways. And you could actually argue that New Mexico State might have, uh, you know, at, at least a, their quarterback situation being much better. Josiah Johnson started uh, their opener last year and then was supposed to uh, – actually, I think he technically did get the start in the second game, but it, well, uh, Weston Egget, who is the higher rated of the two, was a, a redshirt freshman uh, last season, got some playing time in, in that second game. And it, it sounded like they were trying to set it up to where, you know, one had the first game, one had the second game. Egget actually was more – impressive but he got hurt johnson had to come in and uh you know lead that team to to the victory over over dixie state but uh they they were missing some key pieces in that spring you know shortened spring season and and the coaching staff there you know kind of said all the right things like oh we don't even really uh paraphrasing here of course but uh, you know, we don't even really see these as, as real games. These are scrimmages, opportunities for us in spring practice, basically, to uh, see what we've got. Uh, they had two, you know, high-profile transfers on offense that they were expecting, they are expecting to be starters or major contributors this year. Eli Johnson, who was a 12-game starter at 
at center at Ole Miss uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, was not able to play this spring. He's the guy that they penciled in as, as the starter there. And then Omari Samuels, who is a uh, four-star recruit, ended up at Michigan, uh, but a, a native of New Mexico, transferred back, but he was injured during the spring, so he wasn't able to play. And Juwan Price really kind of took advantage of, of the opportunity, uh, had a 100-yard you know, yard rushing game, had a, a big-time kick return for a touchdown, looked like you know somebody was going to be involved in the passing game as well. So you'd think that, that New Mexico State's got a couple of good running backs to rely on. They've got uh, at least a little bit of experience at the quarterback position and, you know, a, a solid offensive line. Uh, Sage Dockstader is, is uh, probably their best offensive lineman. If it's not Johnson, it's probably Dockstader. I uh, saw he was the 12th overall pick in the recent uh, CFL draft. So he's got a pro future ahead of him, if not in the NFL and in, in the CFL. Uh, big, big, I mean, 6'7", uh, 350 in that range, uh, you know, offensive lineman. So it, at least there are a couple of guys who, you know, seem to be solid, solid pieces of that offensive line. The rest of the unit got some experience this past year. Max Wilhite played 855 snaps in 2019. Didn't see a field in the spring, so we'll have to see, you know, is he somebody who's going to be able to, to get back and contribute, was a starter in 2019. So the, the offensive line could be, you know, a strength at least of, of the offense, the offensive line and the running back position. The problem a little bit is it seems like in years past, uh, New Mexico State has really wanted to be kind of a wide-open passing offense. So their current personnel – doesn't exactly line up with, uh, you know, at least what they've been philosophically in the past. So they'll have to shift a little bit there. Uh, they did add a, a you know relatively big time transfer uh, to the receiver core. Dominic Gensito is a, a transfer from Missouri. Uh, hasn't played a whole lot in, in the last couple of years, but you know had a couple of touchdown catches uh, with the Tigers, and and then you know other guys got some experience. This spring, Jared Wyatt, Terrell Warner, uh, Robert Downs was a starter in 2019. Uh, so, you know, throwing in a couple of JUCO guys as well, it sounds like they're going to incorporate a tight end more, which they didn't really do in, in years past. Uh, Thomas uh, Whitford is is the guy, junior college transfer, uh, over an 80-rated uh, player, according to 247 Sports, coming in from, from junior college. So sounds like he's a little bit more of a blocker. 64250 but you know that's i think maybe a good sign that they're going to do their best to to get the ball to price and samuels a little bit more and, instead of throwing so much uh defensively i've got some concerns because not only in 2019 was new mexico state among the the bottom of the statistical leaderboard in in so many different uh categories this is a team that gave up what over you know, 35 points per game on average to FCS competition in two games. And these weren't just any FCS teams. These were teams transitioning in their first games from Division Two. So uh, to get blown out by a team like that in, in the first week, turn around, you know, get a bit of a nail biter against the other, there's, there's concern there. So they are experienced or at least returning most of, of uh, 
you know, their starters in two deep from that shortened spring season, but they lost a couple of, you know, or really four talented pieces. Devin Richardson uh, was a starter against Tarleton State, entered the transfer portal right after. He ended up at Texas. Um, you know, probably not going to start there, but he was he was uh, good enough to, to get an opportunity to go and contribute there. Rashid Hodge, one of their best players in 2019, did not play in, in the spring, had a transfer to Arizona. Uh, they had a safety, Jason Simmons, who – did a, a lot of really good things. Eight game starter uh, in 2019. He entered the transfer portal during the season, ended up at Syracuse. And then Xander Yarbrough, former tight end, ends up moving to, to defensive line. Uh, he's transferred and ended up at USF. You throw in Miles uh, Vigne, a 300 pounder who entered the, the transfer portal, somebody who started 26 games. And then, you know, running back Navion Mitchell, they lost some talented players or at least players uh, who were, you know, would be starters, uh, particularly on the defense for those guys, Yarbrough, Hodge, Richardson, Simmons would be starters and ended up, you know, taking a big step up in competition, one to the AAC, three to power five conferences. That, that gives me, you know, reason to be concerned. They also lost Ray Lopez who ended up getting drafted after transferring to Arizona last season. So, uh, they, you know, don't recruit particularly well. Xavier will, will give, you know, some more background on that, but relying a lot on junior college players from, you know, New Mexico, a little bit of Texas, a little bit of, of California, but a lot of two-star guys. And then you get the occasional underrated guy that you can, can develop a little bit. And some of those guys end up, you know, moving on to, to bigger and better opportunities. So, I, I don't love the roster construction. They rank 130th in roster strength overall, 128th offensively, and 130th defensively. You throw that in with you know team performance ratings, the three-year weighted average, 125th, five-year rated average, 125th. Last year they were 116th, and that's you know because they had a, a decent game against an FCS opponent. It's uh, it's it's a it's concerning. I know that. You know, there are some quotes out there. Coaching staff seems to think that this is a, a team that's as talented as, as the New Mexico State team went to a bowl just a couple of years ago or a few years ago. But, you know, our, our numbers don't really see it that way. We see this as one of the two worst teams in the country, basically. And and so, you know, we do have them favored against uh, South Carolina State, an FCS opponent. They do have a talent edge in that game. Our stats-only model also likes them against UMass. But the schedule, in, in my opinion, with seven you know, games against FCS competition, including two late-season games against Alabama and Kentucky right before that UMass, that, that you know, big primetime matchup against UMass that we're going to be looking for, they're going to be coming off against some physical uh, games on the road against Alabama and Kentucky. Uh, I, I, I don't love the way the schedule sets up. There are certainly some winnable games. UTEP is winnable. New Mexico is winnable, but I just oh, it, it's it's hard for me to see. Or I think there are fewer paths to two or three wins for New Mexico State than there are UMass. I just for whatever reason, I know they're very 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 similar, but UMass I feel much more comfortable with the over one and a half. New Mexico State, I would lean that way, but 
I, I, I'm certainly not willing to, you know, go out and shout about it like I have been with UMass. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, this team seemed like it might have had a good defense if all of it didn't uh, hit the transfer portal, you yeah. know, and then the winnable games here, like Nick mentioned, it's really three on the schedule. It's UTEP early and then, um, you know, the uh, yeah, South Carolina State and maybe UMass. That's pretty much it. I mean, hey, you're I, forgetting it, one. Who am I forgetting? I mean, they do have a doubleheader against Hawaii. It's hard to beat a team twice. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> if you say so. I mean, I'm not. And gonna... to follow the trend of this podcast, they get a bye week before Hawaii. So. Okay. There you go. Uh, but and that's, but a, that's about the second game. That's for the second game. So. I mean, you might be able to scratch UMass off just because of what Nick said. They're going to get beat up by Kentucky and Bama on the road the the two weeks before going to play UMass. Yeah. So looks like it's going to be a long year for New Mexico State. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think. Once again, they're, 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 you know, Nick alluded to it. They're, they're, uh, their schedule construction is just awful. Uh, I really dislike it. The, the amount of away games that they have um, in this schedule just are way – and not just any away games, but their away games are against the best teams that they play, you know, at Alabama, at Kentucky, at um, San Jose State, uh, at Hawaii, at San Diego State. Like these are just not it's not possible for I don't see them even getting close in a lot of these ball games to competing on a high on a, even a, a middling level. And that's why I was talking about when it comes to that last game of the season, which team has competed better by the end of the year? You know, maybe, you know, New Mexico gives Kentucky a really solid first half. That that is something that you point to as as far as, you know, when you're talking about the game that they're going to be playing against UMass. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at it. You know, their schedule also on top of that asks for them to play like seven straight or six straight games by week, Hawaii by week, and then four straight games. So they have plenty of rest to get, you know, the doors beat off of them by Alabama and Kentucky. They'll have plenty of that. Uh, but I just, you know, I'm not really confident that they'll be able to get to two wins um, outside of S, uh, South Carolina State and uh, the UTEP slash um, UMass matchup. Uh, but I'm not comfortable with saying that they'd beat a UMass team that we think are, are better than them uh, on pretty much every phase of the game. And, and as as much as UTEP is a game that we think that it can win, I think we, I, I would be remiss to say UTEP isn't a better team. Uh, and that's just going to be a, a more of a competitive game for both of them rather than a guaranteed win uh, for New Mexico State. Uh, and, you know, South Carolina State is the only guaranteed win on their schedule. And with that being the case, I just I'm not I'm not comfortable giving them that two wins, which sounds so bad. Uh, but hey, like I said, it, it's hard to beat Hawaii. It's hard to beat a team twice, and that bye week before Hawaii, in all seriousness, could be a game that I look at it. And, and depending on how Hawaii Hawaii has looked, and depending on how the first game played out, could absolutely be a game that you know we look at as possibly a, a win, first win or second win for them at that matter. So I'm not comfortable putting New Mexico State uh, or betting the over there. I would be much more comfortable putting my money on UMass as you two already have been. Uh, I was going to be the contrarian and try to go with New Mexico State, uh, <laughs> but ever looking at everything numbers wise and, and returning production, and I just I, I couldn't do it um, after after looking at all the numbers because uh, I wanted to be the guy on the other side of the betting side for that last game of the season. All right, let's go over to the final team of the independents, and it's a big one, Notre Dame here. Notre Dame. Uh, uh, I mean, ranked 15, our highest ranked independent team, of course. They beat Clemson and UNC. They were 10 and 0. Going into the AAC championship and the playoff, they lost badly in both. 
DK has set their total at eight and a half. We have them at eight and four. Favored to win 10. Talent edges in 11, though. Uh, so going to be an interesting year for Notre Dame, but of course have to replace uh, at the quarterback position. And uh, we'll see what happens here. What do you think for Notre Dame in 2021, Nick? Well, the big question for me, uh, for Notre Dame, and, and I think for a lot of people, is just the amount of roster turnover that they've got. They are missing you know, some, some big-time players from what was a really, really good team last year and and you know a lot of people of course will will talk about uh their lack of success in the college football playoff but you know they've gotten there multiple times they've won double digit games in you know how many how many straight years four straight double digit winning seasons uh and even though you know they they uh have have uh, had a, a real lack of success in that last game they're still a solid program. They're producing NFL players. Nine guys were drafted. Three of those uh, players were in the top, what, 52 picks? Uh, two of them, you know, starting offensive linemen. They had a third offensive lineman drafted. And then Tommy Kramer, who's been a 100-rated player in our uh, projection system for a couple of years now, was an undrafted free agent. So uh, they are, you know, got to replace a lot of bodies up front a lot of really talented players they're starting quarterback the winningest quarterback in uh notre dame history ian book uh they also you know are losing an, a a unanimous all-american in linebacker jeremiah wosu koromoa so uh you know that that's a lot to replace and just looking at the you know change in roster strength that is something that that we um keep track of you know from one year to the next how their their actual roster strength rating uh compares notre dame lost over five and a half points in roster strength from uh their average 2020 uh roster strength rating to what they have currently today only three fbs teams lost more clemson ohio state and byu and so you know yeah, we still think Clemson and Ohio State are our playoff contending teams, and and we'll talk plenty about them in the coming weeks. But I mean, that's that is a ton for Notre Dame to replace, and it's at key positions: quarterback, offensive line, linebacker. You know, guys guys that have been sort of heart and soul guys for Notre Dame for for a couple of years now. That said, still a very talented team. They have top twenty five talent uh raw talent you could you could make the argument they've got top 15 uh talent offensively their average 247 rating ranks seventh in the country among players on our our offensive depth charts defensively it's 13th and they've still got some superstar caliber players i mean kyle hamilton might be my favorite defensive player in college football and he's a a 64 210 plus uh projected to be a top five pick already I would think so. I mean, would would certainly be the favorite to be the the first safety drafted uh, in in the 2022 draft. I would expect. I know I'm not a um, NFL draft guy as much as you know other people are much better at it than I am. But he seems like that type of player for me. And and you know they've got pieces here and there on defense. You, I still would expect this was a top 20 uh, defense as far as team performance goes last season. And they played some of the best 
you know, offenses in the country, specifically Clemson, who they were able to knock off in the regular season game, a shorthanded Clemson team, yes. But that North Carolina game, they held North Carolina to 17 points. They were great. Uh, North Carolina, I know, had a couple of, of really good early drives. Sam Howell looked great early, and then they shut him down. Uh, so, you know, they do play North Carolina again this season. I know, obviously, you know, they're, they're going to be without uh, Owosu-Koromoa, and, and, you know, Dalen Haynes was drafted. Uh, Adi uh, Ogadeh, he drafted uh, both those guys on uh, defensive end, dead rushers type guys. So it won't necessarily be the, the same team coming back for that game uh, that's in South Bend October 30th. But based on the way they excelled last season, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think Notre Dame, uh, rightly so, is favored in that game in our projections. I, I know we've talked about a little bit, and we will in the, uh, in the future, about how our numbers are, are struggling maybe to capture North Carolina a little bit. But it makes sense to me that, that Notre Dame would be favored in that game. That, of course, is, is a part of a, a, a sort of the tail end of a very, very difficult stretch, as Xavier will get into, with, with Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, an important bye week, USC, and then North Carolina. But, you know, still, that, that certainly is a, a winnable game. And I would, I would argue every game in that stretch is winnable, even though we do have Notre Dame as, as slight favorite, or excuse me, slight underdogs against both Wisconsin and, and USC. But, you know, it, it's going to rely on, like with a lot of teams that we talk about, both today and, and any other preview we do, the quarterback position. Jack Cohn was a starter at Wisconsin. Not flashy, not somebody who is, uh, you know, an excellent uh, guy with the deep ball, but he's somebody who's been accurate in the, you know, short range, medium range, quick game, that type of thing. And when you've got a running back like Kyron Williams coming back, sounds like, you know, the the offensive coaching staff, Tommy Reese, is, is really uh, emphasizing getting Williams and Chris Tyree, who is a dynamic, athletic, you know, multifaceted running back, getting both of them on the field at the same time. They have probably my second favorite tight end in college football in Michael Meyer, uh, who I think is, is, you know, the next great tight end certainly a, a future NFL uh, tight end, but they're lacking big time playmakers at receiver. And is Jack Cohn going to get, you know, the time to, to operate? Are those timing routes going to be as good as they were at Wisconsin when you've got an offensive line that's so much in flux? Not only are they replacing four starters, but the one starter they've got coming back, Jarrett Patterson, is probably going to be playing a different position. He's a multi-year starter at center. They looked at him at tackle. I've seen a lot of projections for him at tackle lately after they added Kane Madden, who's a big, big ad, All-American type guy from Marshall, the highest rated uh, G5 off interior offensive lineman last year by PFF. So that's a big time, you know, solidify that right guard spot probably. But still, you know, is Patterson going to play tackle? Are they going to play a true freshman, Blake Fisher, it seemed like, uh, during spring practice was kind of penciled into that left tackle spot? Yeah, he, he might end up being a superstar. But I think, you know, if, if you were going to uh, decide one position that you don't want a true freshman star, left tackle is probably pretty high on that list. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all works out. They, they certainly are talented. And, and the offensive line, I mentioned, you know, they were seventh and average 247 rating on offense. 
they're fourth nationally on the offensive line. So I think they're good enough. They've been good enough in the past that, that that's going to be a solid unit. They should be able to run the football. They've got, you know, a game manager in Jack Cohn. And then behind him, a guy like, you know, Tyler Buckner, the big time incoming recruit, uh, inexperienced, has only played one full season the last three years in high school. But, uh, you know, Drew Pine is, is somebody I think uh, is a little bit better. Or the coaches are a little higher on than maybe some of the fans on the outside looking in. If, if one of those two guys or both of those guys challenge Cone, maybe they'll be able to take the offense to the next level. If a guy like Kevin Austin Jr., who we expect to be the go-to receiver, certainly the most uh, dynamic receiver or the best bet to be the, the biggest playmaker, uh, has to stay healthy, has to stay on the field. Um, you know, there's there's promise at a lot of different positions. There's reasons to think, okay, we can plug some of this hole, you know, these holes if you're Notre Dame, but it's a lot of turnover and it's a tough schedule. You know, 12th in our strength of schedule rate uh, rankings. You would expect they can get off to a good start. You can expect that they will be in every single game. Uh, another double digit winning season, I think, is possible. But the way our projections are, are sort of looking, there are so many toss-ups, especially in that middle part of the year. And Xavier always, I think, counts how many ifs I give for each team. And there are probably a lot of them for Notre Dame. So when it came time to, to make our you know, actual predicted uh, record, I couldn't bump up that 8.3 projected win total. I think it just has to, to sit at eight. And so eight and a half is, is that DraftKings uh, posted win total currently. We would be on the under on our predict, you know, our, our projected and our predicted record. But you look at each of those talent models, it says something different. It says 10 favored, you know, officially, 11 talent edges, and 10 in our, you know, prism projected scoring margin uh, stats only model. So normally, and as we get into the season, we'll talk about when all three agree, that's something that's been really, really good for us uh, recently. Normally, looking at that, we would say that's a bet. Over eight and a half, yes. But me personally, I, I struggle to get there. So I, I think eight is more likely than nine, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked at nine or ten. But I just think so much turnover, more, you know, a, a difficult schedule, maybe some things bounce the other way. I, I, I think Notre Dame will take a, a little bit of a step back this year just because there's so many ifs and, and question marks at some key spots. Yeah, and uh, Xavier, I think Nick, uh, as you would say, hit it right on the head when he was talking about the stretch here of Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, and USC and North Carolina. Just throw them all in there. That is really going to decide the season fate for Notre Dame. And, you know, look, you have three games leading you into those in Florida State, Toledo, and Purdue. But if you don't get this quarterback situation 100% completely solved before that stretch, uh, this uh, any number uh, given to a Notre Dame team would be tough to hit. So I think that's going to be the big barometer of their season is how do they look going into that uh, game against Wisconsin? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be really concerned about that offense um, with, with replacing Ian Book and replacing some of those receivers, um, especially replacing some of the offensive line talent that they had last year. 
you know, with, with two of the, I mean, the first two players taken off the board for Notre Dame last year were both offensive linemen just to say, show you how talented they were. Um, like, I just don't see this offense hitting the ground running. Jack Cohn is not the kind of guy that adds a bit of dynamicism to an offense that is going to need that. Uh, they're going to really have to lean on Kyron Williams to to add that punch. Um, and, and he's going to have to take a, a step forward, you know, not just a, a home run hitter, but a, a three down back that can do it all this year. You know, and I think he can do it. You know, I think he's one of the more talented running backs in college football. Uh, but we'll see how, you know, what kind of load he's given this year. Because I think genuinely he's going to be a guy, especially with, you know, when you're talking about a Jack Cone, you're talking about a guy who's been a serial game manager in his time in college football. Not a guy that's typically out there to, to win football games for you. Just a guy who's out there not to lose them. Um, you know, a guy who's not going to throw for, you know, 3,500 yards, you know, maybe at most uh, a 2,200 to 2,500 kind of yard kind of guy. Uh, keep the interceptions down is when Jack Cone is looking his best. And, and you know, two, two interception, or I'm sorry, two touchdown, no interception games are like Jack Cone's like bread and butter with like 206 yards of passing. So, you know, this is going to be a team that's going to, and with that being the case, I, offensively, I'm a little bit concerned that a lot of their games are going to have to be slugfests and it's going to be leaning on a defense to really, you know, shut some of these teams down. And I think they can do it for, for you know, your your Purdue's, your Toledo's, even your Florida State's. Uh, but when you're playing a Wisconsin team that, I mean, knows Jack Cone like the back of his, like the back of his hand, I think that that's going to be a really bad matchup for them. Um, and with it being at a neutral site, you know, it, there's no real home advantage there. Although, you know, yeah, yes and no. Um, you know, Cincinnati being at home, once again, you're playing a dynamic team that has both sides of the football. And if this game gets, you know, if they get two or three, two touchdowns down, 17 points down, I'm really concerned that that offense doesn't have enough firepower to come back, you know, in, in this game. You know, last year they had, they won a game against Clemson in overtime by scoring 40 points. I don't think this offense this year has the ability in the, to do that. And that concerns me uh, when they're playing a team like a USC, even in North Carolina that, you know, lost, you know, that's defense in North Carolina is going to be a little bit better. And their quarterback is more trusted. Their offense, you expect to be a little bit more explosive because of Sam Howell. USC, same thing. Uh, you know, so I think this is a team that eight wins is what I'm comfortable with, uh, with them. I still, I still think that there's another loss in there uh, where they slip up, whether that's against a Virginia Tech on the road, uh, whether that's against a, you know, a, a Virginia at home, uh, on the road later on in the season. I just think that there's another slip up here in the schedule. Maybe it's earlier in the year. Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe Florida State comes to play week one. I mean, I would, I think 75% of college football would be shocked by that, but I think, you know, maybe they come to play week one and, but there's going to be some growing pains with this offense this year where they are really lackluster at going down the field and really stretching the defense. And I think by, by you know, that Wisconsin game, you're seeing a seven to eight man box and just telling everybody uh, and everybody's going to say, Jack Cohn, you got to beat us. And if he does not, if he's not able to do it, and more importantly, if the receivers are not able to get open on the outside, it's going to be a long season for Notre Dame offensively. And at worst, this is going to be a seven, seven and five ball club. Nick, one you wanted thing. to make one more point about the defense here, right? Yeah, yeah, one thing that that uh, I failed to mention that's just something something to monitor and and uh you know Notre Dame has has lost defensive coordinators in the past. They were able to replace Mike Elko with uh with Clark Lee. Basically a, a seamless transition, ended up playing great defense. Lee obviously, you know, helped orchestrate that uh, defensive game plan I talked about against North Carolina that was so successful last year other, you know, great games as well. Uh, this year, they, you know, Lossley took the job to, uh, you know, took over that Vanderbilt program, uh, his alma mater. They were able to, to scoop Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati. He, you know, basically uh, the best 
defensive coordinator, certainly the best defensive coordinator hire of the cycle, maybe one of the best assistant coaching hires of the cycle or, or the best. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to watch because, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a, a change in style. Uh, one thing that Cincinnati did last year under uh, Freeman was that they shifted kind of mid-year to that 3-3-5, 3-3 stack defense and I know it's Xavier's, I think, least favorite, uh, or or in the in the midst. Um, but you know, Cincinnati had a lot of success with that. Notre Dame doesn't necessarily seem to have the ideal personnel, and I've also seen some things about where Freeman seems to want to keep some of the elements of of the Notre Dame defense under Clark Lee, including, you know, the rover position that uh, Jeremiah uh, 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 Kormara played last year. So what is what is the Notre Dame defense actually going to look like? I think they're going to be coached up really, really well. I know Freeman's already paid off on the recruiting trail. Um, he's a, a future head coach. You know, you, you if you're Notre Dame, you're probably hoping you can hold on to him for a few years, but maybe don't get too used to him. But what's his first Notre Dame defense going to look like schematically because you know Cincinnati ran a lot of man a lot of press man does Notre Dame have corners that can do that uh, I know they technically have two returning corners but uh, Tyreek Bracey lost his job uh, last year Cam Hart's a converted uh, wide receiver who you know physically I think is is what you would love to have at a corner at six to over 200 pounds but are those guys going to be able to you know play the style of defense that Freeman really would prefer and, and where he's been at his best as a defensive play caller. So I think there'll be a, a, a good unit and they certainly have some superstar pieces and, and some guys on the rise. I've heard great things about Isaiah Foxy as an edge rusher. You know, he's a, he's a uh, still a little light, but somebody who's got a, maybe a huge future as a, somebody coming off the edge. They've got some interior defensive linemen. Uh, Myron Tungavaiola Mosa is moving from the inside to the outside uh, in in you know four down lineman uh, situation. So it, I just I, I have some questions. What are they going to look like schematically? Because I think you know Freeman's perfect idea of a defense. Maybe Notre Dame's not quite built to to play that style right now. So are they going to? play a little bit more like what we saw in 2019 to sort of bridge that gap a little bit until he gets his guys coming in? Uh, or are they going to say, hey, you know, this is what we do, coach them up and, and see what we can do, playing a lot of press man, playing some three three five and and stuff like that. So a little bit of a question. I think they'll figure it out. I love Freeman as a play caller, as a coach. Uh, so it's it's not a huge, you know, like glaring red flag or anything. But just, you know, a, another little piece to be concerned about as we're seeing so much transition personnel-wise and then also, you know, coaching staff a little bit too. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for Independence. Hey, we were able to stick under two hours. So uh, hit our goal here uh, for sure. But uh, uh, hit us next time. What, what are we doing on the next show? The uh, We're into P5. I know there's yeah, no more P5. P5 or Independence left. So we are we are headed to the P5. We uh, so far have been doing independence a little bit unique because of Notre Dame, BYU, whatever. But conferences, we have uh, been going in reverse order of our average team strength power ratings. 
so we're we're starting with our lowest rated P5 conference, which is the ACC. And we'll follow that uh, with the Pac-12 in, in the next uh, the next batch. So we we've done what three back to back to back here, trying to, to catch up a little bit with some uh, some moves and things like that. But uh, we will take roughly a, a week off. Um, but start with the P5 in uh, that first week of August. All right. Well, that will do it for us. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter machine at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next time. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.